Remain standing, please, out of love and affection for God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. And turn with me to the book of Ruth. It is the eighth book in the Bible, starting with Genesis at the very beginning. The eighth book, we're continuing our study in this lovely, uh, short little book. Last week, we looked at chapter one. And for those who were here and have forgotten, or those who weren't here, let me just briefly summarize. We were introduced to three ladies in chapter one of the letter to Ruth. And those three ladies were Naomi and Ruth and Orpah. Ruth and Orpah were sister, or, uh, sisters-in-law. Uh, they, their mother-in-law was Naomi. Naomi was an Israelite, but she had left the promised land with her husband, Elimelech, and their two sons because of a famine that came into the land. And so they disobeyed God's word, and they failed to trust in him, and they left and they went to the land of Moab. While they were there, their two sons married two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, her two sons died, and then Naomi heard that God had restored uh, his blessing to the promised land, that there was bread in the blessing uh, of the promised land again. And so they left Moab and they made their way back to the promised land. About halfway there, she turned around to her two daughters-in-law and said, Go back. Go back to your people. Go back to your gods. Orpah turned and went home. But Ruth said that famous quote that we know is the summary, really, of the book of Ruth. Your God is my God. Your people is my people. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I too will die. And where you are buried, I will be buried as well. They make their way back into Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. And now we come to chapter 2 and find out that they have no bread. Here was the promise God had said, go back to the the land that I have given to you. Go back to the house of bread, and I will take care of you. And now they find themselves poorer than poor. No bread at all. Will God forsake them, or will God bless them? Let's find out. Reading then, Ruth chapter 2, the entire chapter, a long passage, but let's read God's word together. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Who is the young woman over there? Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field. She's worked steadily from morning till now, except for one short break to rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men harvest, and follow among the girls, along with the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground and exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? 
Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it into the wine vinegar. When she sat down, the harvesters offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. She got up to go back to glean. Boaz gave orders to the men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and do not rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an epoch. She carried it back to the town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over from uh, when she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked for today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth, the Moabitess, said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field, field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Our Father in heaven, we give you great thanks and praise that you speak to us by and through the power of your spirit and your holy and fallible and inerrant word. It is our only rule for our faith and practice. We have a beautiful picture before us of the rich rewards that are ours in our kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So open our eyes then to behold the beauty of this rich reward, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. There are a few days in my life that are big, big days that I look back on and I think to myself, boy, the Lord really richly, richly rewarded me on that particular day. The first day, of course, was 35 years ago when I married my uh, high school sweetheart, or one of my high school sweethearts, but I... I I did just marry one of them uh, 35 years ago, and I was richly rewarded. Uh, 30 years ago, then, the birth of my first daughter, Melissa, and God richly rewarded me. 25 years ago, then, my second daughter, Allison, who is here with us this morning, uh, was born, and that was uh, another day that the Lord richly rewarded me. The day that I finished seminary, oh, that was a rich reward from God. 
the day I came to Redeemer Presbyterian Church to serve as your senior pastor, uh, a, a rich reward from God. And then yesterday. Yesterday, I had the wonderful privilege of officiating in the marriage of my oldest daughter, Melissa, to my new son-in-law, Zach. The flowers this morning are left over from the celebration that we had last night right here in this sanctuary. The rich reward that the Lord has given to me now in the son that I never had, having only two daughters, now I have a new son, a son-in-law. I got rid of one, and someday I hope to get rid of the other one as well. <laughs> why is it though, friends, in all honesty now, why is it that we, we have to look back in life uh, and we have to look back in life to those great big events to cause us to pause and to thank the Lord for his rich reward. Why is it that we cannot find rich rewards in God's blessing us every moment of every day? I think it's for this reason, because instead of living the lives filled with the gospel, the rich reward of the planting of the seed of the gospel in our hearts and in our minds and living that out in our day-to-day -day lives, we are a people that are filled with doubt many times. We deny the very fact that God has our best interest in mind and he promises to take care of us. We elevate ourself, thinking that if anything good is going to come to my life, I'm going to have to be the one that orchestrates it. I'm going to have to be the one who puts it together. And instead of relying <clears throat> on the rich rewards of a heavenly father, we look to self. I think those are all of the things that fill us, that rob us from seeing that all of life, if you are here today and you are a child of the living God, you have been redeemed by the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, then all of your life has been redeemed. And it doesn't mean that we simply have to look back in life at key moments, big days to find God's rich rewards, but every breath that you take is a blessing from your Heavenly Father. It is for this reason that we're filled with doubt, that we deny, that we elevate ourselves. It is for this reason that I, number one, and I hope you, number two, are delighted that God in his infinite wisdom and mercy has put in Ruth chapter two into his canon and now into our laps this morning. Because from Ruth chapter one, we have this beautiful picture of salvation Salvation that is extended to the Jew and to the Gentile, the two Moabitess women. Uh, Ruth is the one who responds and Orpah is the one who rejects. But Ruth responds to that and she is given this gospel. The gospel that is in the one who was to come in that particular day, but the one now that we look back on who did come. The Lord Jesus Christ, our kinsman, redeemer. And so every day now, my friends, as we find from Ruth chapter 1, this beautiful picture of salvation, salvation given, extended, and applied by the work of the Spirit, now we get to Ruth chapter 2 and we see this beautiful, rich reward that's ours lived out that we can trust our God every moment of every day. As we read right here in verse 12, it is... The Lord who has richly rewarded us, the God of Israel, who now we come under his wings and we take refuge in him. He is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in time of trouble. The trouble, the psalmist said, Psalm 46, if you're here today and you're, and you're a lover of the Lord Jesus, 
You don't have to look back at big days in your life to find rich rewards in Christ. You only have to look at the present, all of life, and see the rich rewards that are ours in the God who takes care of us. There are actually three that we find in chapter 2 of Ruth, three rich rewards that are ours. The first one is that we are richly rewarded by God's providence. Providence. Have you heard that word before? Providence, that's a fancy $20 reformed Presbyterian type word that we throw around many times as if we understand what it is. Well, let me tell you what it is. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing every creature and every action. That probably didn't help you much, did it? That is the shorter catechism answer to the question, what is God's providence? It's simply this, my friends. It is God taking care of us watching over us, caring for us as his children, that everything in life is not a part. God is never up in heaven going, whoops, what am I going to do now? We only have to go back to chapter 1 from last week to see the beginning of this rich reward of God's providence. It started with Ruth. Ruth was snatched out, plucked from a foreign land and foreign gods who were really no gods at all. She was plucked out of the land of Moab and she was now placed in the house of bread in Bethlehem in the promised land given the gospel. Your people will be my people. Your God is my God. Where you go, I will go. So we only have to look back at chapter 1 to see the beginning of providence that God found favor, poured out his favor on a Gentile and brought her out of a foreign land and placed her in the house of bread. Naomi, a Jew, had left the promised land to go to that foreign land in Moab. And we see providence that God said, I'm not going to allow my child to stay in a place where I have not ordained that she be. And so he snatched her out of there and he brought her back. He restored her with her people in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And then we get to chapter 2. And why would you think that it would begin? Now Naomi had a relative and that relative was on her husband's side, Elimelech's side, and his name was Boaz. Boaz was a relative of Naomi only by her marriage. Boaz was a descendant with Elimelech. That will be very important when we get to chapter 4. So Naomi and Boaz are related only by marriage through Elimelech. But why would the author start chapter 2 by giving us this picture? It's because the rest of this chapter and now the rest of this book, we find that Boaz becomes the kinsman redeemer, her kinsman redeemer, Ruth's kinsman redeemer. And so we're introduced to him here at the beginning of chapter 2 in a continuation of God's providence. He took care of her in the land where she shouldn't be. He brought her back into the land where she should be. And now not only that salvation in bringing her in, but he was going to take care of everything in her life. Look at cha uh, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Uh, I, I know that the, the author, whoever it was, just sits and says, I'm going to lay the irony on really thick here just so that the readers will someday get this. Look at verse 3. She went out and again to begin to, or she was going to glean the fields behind the harvesters. 
And as it turned out, oh, it just so happened, by chance, by fate, by whatever you want, it just turned out that she found herself working in the field belonging to Boaz. And then verse 4, and just then, oh, it happened, just woo, it just happened automatically as if it were some act of fate or chance that Boaz arrives and greets the harvesters. No, 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 a thousand times no. We're Reformed Presbyterians. We cling to this rich reward that's ours in the providence of our God, that God orchestrates everything in life. Abraham Kuyper put it like this. I'm going to botch it, I promise, but it, something along this lines. The creator of all that has been created looks around all of his creation and he says even to one square inch of that, that is mine. He has orchestrated all things whatsoever comes to pass according to his divine will. Now friend, listen to me closely. This does not mean that we are puppets on a string. Although I would say this, I would much rather be a puppet on a string controlled by God, the God who created all things, than left up to my own free will. I wouldn't want that because I'm going to mess that up every single time, guarantee you. But we're not puppets on a string. Ruth picks the field that she goes to that day. She chooses to go to that field instead of that field. Boaz chooses to have his harvesters start working that field before he has them work that field. So he takes our, uh, the freedom of our choice to do something and he orchestrates that. He, he designs the means and the end, the end of the picture and the means to get to the end of the picture and that is called providence, that God's most powerful, preserving and governing every creature and every action, that God is never up in heaven saying, whoops, look what that fool did now. What am I going to do in response to that? It's all part of God's plan, orchestrated plan. And friends, that is a rich reward that you and I have as lovers of the Lord Jesus, his providential care. The larger section of chapter 2 gives us the next rich reward, and that is that God provides. We read it in this whole provision of, of Ruth going to this particular field, and she meets her kinsman redeemer. He tells her all of these different things about doing this, that, and the other for this first provision. And that first provision is food. Salvation that's offered in chapter 1, it doesn't simply stop there. God is not simply the author of our salvation who sits in heaven like he winds up the great big clock and now says, you make a mess out of it, I can't do anything to help you. No, those, that's a deist. We're not deists. He gives us salvation, chapter 1, and now look, he provides for us. Our heavenly food, our daily food is a provision from God himself in a rich reward that we experience. Boaz knew the law. He was a Jew. He knew the law that comes to us from Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 24. And the law said this, if you are an owner of the land, don't glean the outsides of your field, but you leave that because there will always be poor among you and the poor need to eat too. And when you go over your fields back and forth, don't go over it a second time. What you get the first go around is all you get. You leave the rest of it for the poor that will always be among you. And if you leave a tool in the field, don't go back and get it. 
but leave it there. It's a providential blessing by God for the poor person who has no tool, who will glean the fields that you have left food for them to glean. Boaz knew that. He knew that. Now, Ruth may have come to know that. We simply don't know now how long she had been now in, this, uh, in the promised land. But we do know this. She doesn't take advantage of that if she did know it. I don't know that she did. But she certainly doesn't take advantage of it. And I find that in the progression of the word favor. The first one comes to us in verse 2. Look at it. She tells her mother-in-law, I think I'm going to go to the fields today. You are older than me. So I'm younger than you. I'm going to take care of you in your old age. Boy, there's something we've lost in our culture today, huh? Are you listening, Allison? <laughs> we need to take care of our elderly. The fifth commandment, you just recited it. Honor your father and your mother that your days may go long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. But here's the first one. I'm going to go and I'm going to work and may, may I find favor. There's the first use of the word favor. And then the second one comes in the middle of verse 10. After she meets Boaz, she asks the question, why have I found favor in your sight? And then verse 13, when he says, you just take all that you want and keep taking, then she says, may I continue to find favor in your sight? You see what she's doing there? She has now come out of this land of Moab, out of a land that has foreign gods, which are no gods at all. She's been brought into the promised land, into Bethlehem, the house of God, or the bread of, uh, of God. She's been brought into this particular city, and she now is expecting that the God who gave her that salvation and brought her out of that place into this place is actually going to take care of her every moment of every day. She expected it, and friends, so can you. You can expect that your heavenly Father, because of his providence and now his provision, is going to care for you every moment of every day. We expect that, and rightly so. He gives us his favor, and we continue in that favor. But not only does he provide food, but he provides protection for her as well. Boaz does, does he not? Look at verse 9, and then again in verse 15. He says, watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow after the girls, my, my girls. Follow after them because I've told the men not to touch you. She must have been a hottie. Yeah. Is it hot in here or is it just you? <laughs> um, and he says, that, listen, don't go, don't touch her. He tells the harvesters, the men, don't touch her. He provides protection for her. And then he says the same thing in verse 15. She got up to glean. Boaz then turned and, to his men and gave orders. He said, now, listen, don't embarrass her either. Don't bring any physical harm to her. And don't bring any emotional harm to her. Do not embarrass her by making fun of her. But he provides protection for her. Now, dear friend, what about you? Do you see that everything that you have in this life is the gift that God has given to you by his divine providence providing for every need that you have? Are you satisfied with that? Are you satisfied with the fact that what God has given to you is not something that you have earned and not something that you deserve, but something that you have been given, richly rewarded by a God who loves you that much? Let me ask you this. Do you believe 
you know, it, it always seems to take those big things in our life, doesn't it? Oh, I had this major car accident and, you know, the Lord just provided his protection and, and I wasn't hurt in any way. The car was all smashed up and God provided protection. Yes, he did. But have you ever thought about the protection that God has provided for you for the things that never did happen to you? That's the kind of God that we have. Amen? That's the kind of God that we have that he protects us, even from ourselves and the stupidity of ourselves. And that is the rich reward that is ours by his provision. Lastly then, friends, the third thing we read is that God provides richly rewards different people for us. We read it at the beginning, short clip at the beginning of the chapter, but then mostly at the end. We read it in the way that Boaz greets uh, the harvesters and the way they greet him in verse 4. Look at how Boaz greets the, the men that work for him. The Lord be with you. And they respond, the Lord bless you. They have this common connection of being one in, in, in the Lord. This is why we share the passing of the peace in our liturgy every single week. We believe in, in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What is it to be the fellowship? It is our common bond in this gospel. And so we say, peace be with you and also with you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord also bless you. God has given us one another. He has given us other people. If you're a member here or a long-term visitor, look around. Here is a provision by God's providential decree that he would give you other people to share, to live your life with, that you are not alone in this life, but you have one another. And what we are, uh, the common bond that we have is the common bond of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. A beautiful and bigger picture of that comes then at the end of our passage, verse 17, really to the very end. And we see God's provision in the people between Naomi and Ruth. Ruth, the daughter-in-law, Naomi, the mother-in-law. Now stick with me here. Think back to chapter 1. In chapter 1, verse 15... Naomi said to Ruth, go back to your people, go back to your land, and go back to your foreign gods. Why in the world would a child of the only true living God tell someone else to go back to a foreign god? One of you asked me that question on the way out last week, and I said, hmm, I hadn't thought about that. Well, I hadn't been able to take it out of my mind this week. And I thought, why would, she, why would she do that? Why would Naomi say to Ruth, go back? We find that there in verse one, or chapter 1, verse 15. But then we see something else in verse 20 of chapter 1. She says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant anymore, but call me bitter. You see where she is? She had experienced the death of her husband and the death of her two sons. The Lord snatched her out of this foreign land. He brought her back, but she is still experiencing this heavy weight. She still is wondering. She still is wondering if God is really going to care for her now that her husband and her sons were gone. That's the only reason. That's the only logical reason why she would say to Ruth, you go back. But then it's sealed for us in our text this morning, chapter 2, verse 20. Look at verse 20 of our text. After Ruth had told her about Boaz and all that Boaz had done for her, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. 
But then get this. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living or the dead. The he there is in connection to the Lord in the syntax, in the Hebrew syntax, not to Boaz. Naomi has now finally come to the place where she actually expects the favor of God like Ruth did. She now understands that this God who gave her salvation and protection and brought her out of the land she wasn't supposed to be in, that she now is in, He, God, Yahweh, has never stopped showing his kindness to the living and this spiritually dead person who denied it, doubted it, and now has given me the eyes to see it. Ah. And she sees that in Ruth. She sees that in the very one that she told to go back. She sees it in her life. Look at this. She she sees, uh, she gleans, verse 17, in the field all day long, threshing then all of the barley, And she gets an ephah, whatever that means. My little footnote says that that's three-fourths of a bushel, or three-fifths of a bushel, whatever that means. I don't know what a bushel is, but then it's got parenthetical thought. It's about 22 liters. Whatever that is, I don't do liters. I I do quarts and gallons. It's it's close close to a quart and a liter, so it's about 22 quarts. And here she comes, she's gathered all of these things, then she's threshed it, and she's coming with 22 bottles of, of great, some, some great stuff. And here she comes, just walking down the street, singing, do what did it. I gleaned here, I gleaned there, I gleaned almost everywhere. Yeah. I wish I could claim that as my own, but it wasn't. I heard that from Alistair Begg this week as I was listening. <laughs> But what a beautiful picture, friends. There it is. She's looking at her daughter-in-law, the very one that she told to go back to the foreign gods, which were no gods, and she finally sees, she finally sees in another person the work of God Almighty, Yahweh, the God who providentially has cared and orchestrated all these events, the God who has provided all of these different things and now has given her He's given a comrade. He's given her Ruth, a daughter-in-law, who will stick with her to the very end. And here, let me bring it all now together. Friends, look at the very end of the book. This woman, Ruth, who we're going to read next week, is going to marry Boaz. He's going to become her kinsman redeemer. She is going to bear him a child at the very end of the passage. She's going to bear him a child, and they're going to name him Obed. And Obed is going to grow in stature and favor with God and man, and he's going to marry, and he's going to bring forth a son, and that son is going to be Jesse. And Jesse is going to grow in stature and favor with God and man, and he's going to someday marry and bear a child. His wife is going to bear a child, and they're going to name him David. And that David is King David, the apple of God's eye. The very one in 2 Samuel was told, David, one of your descendants will always, always, always be on the throne of Yahweh's kingdom. And we get to the New Testament and Matthew and Luke open their, their gospel account saying, Jesus comes from the house and the line of David. And he's born where? In Bethlehem. This very place where Ruth is right now. The house of bread produces the one who is the bread of life. And dear friend, Ruth chapter 2 is just as much for you as it was for the Jew back then. 
This is God's promise. The people of God, one people now, Jew and Gentile alike, the grafting, engrafting of the Gentile into Israel to become the new Israel, and it's found in one person, and that one person is Jesus the Christ, the bread of life, the one who gave himself for us to bring us into these rich rewards that are ours that we experience every moment of every day. That's your God. No doubt you have seen Antique Roadshow, right? On that whatever channel, the home network channel, channel, whatever it is, and they all are the same. Some person comes in holding some piece of junk that it looks like, and they're explaining all of the history about it, you know, and then the person on the other side goes, do you know how much this is worth? Oh, 50 cents, you know, got it at a garage sale item. Oh, it's worth 10 gazillion bazillion dollars. And they go, oh! I would be saying, do you want to buy it? <laughs> and they all leave with a greater knowledge of the value of the thing that they brought. And so, friends, you're about to leave this place. And my only question for you is this. Are you leaving as one who now has a greater understanding of the value of this gospel that is given to us in Jesus Christ. God's works of providence, God's works of provision, God's works of bringing people together, all the rich rewards that are ours in Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is a beautiful gospel that we find in the Old Testament as well as the New, that we have one the promise of one in the old and the fulfillment of that one in the new that is our kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Father, we, we doubt we are a people that deny that you have uh, our best interest in, 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 our, in your mind at times, especially when we're confronted with problems and pains in life. But Father, I pray that even in such times as those, it wouldn't take us looking back at life on great big events that we would say, look how the, the Lord has blessed me and rewarded me. But, but Father, that we would see even in the midst of struggling and trials that, that you are providing for us. It's all part of your providential decree and we're not in it alone. But we have fellow brothers and sisters to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. There is no way we could have ever put something like this together, Father. Thank you that you are that kind of a God. Open our eyes to live it and see it every day. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're seated on the inside row, would you please reach forward and grab that?